Hello, hello, and welcome back to another week of Kent and the Steering Team. As always, you are joined by myself, Drew, my good mate, Phil. Unfortunately, Kent can't be here this week. He's actually found himself caught up in a small town in Germany. Anyway, on with the show. Mr. Phil, how are you? Well, thank you, Mr. Drew. I'm very well, thank you. Um, I mean, I say that, but... uh... I once again sound still like still battling that cold, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I once again sound like total death, and it's all awful, and it's just all falling apart on me, and uh, you know. But it is what it is. You press on, we get on with things, and we enjoy life to the fullest that we can. Uh, unfortunately, I'm deaf in yes. one ear, so I normally sit here with my headphones, one on one ear and one off, just so I'm not talking too loudly. But uh, in this situation, it's kind of pointless. I've got one headphone on and one headphone off, but one ear's deaf, so you know. But anyway, we'll press on. I'll, I'll do my best, and uh, if I start having a coughing fit, I'll try and edit that out. And, uh, yes. On with the show, though, Drew. Yes. How are you? On with the show. I'm I, I'm quite well. Um, very tired, but I'm, I'm good. Like, not sleepy tired. I think just weary tired. Yes, sure, sure. That makes sense? Yes. It's all happening at the moment. Yes. Works going along like the clappers. I've got my little munchkin here with me at the moment on holiday lovely and still booking the trip the adventure and we haven't pre-recorded and we've got two weeks to go one of which oh lordy one of which i'm in london <laughs> for so we've got to pre-record three episodes in a week i wondered about this i wondered if it was at all possible <laughs> it's possible we'll get it done we did it for, for, for my trip most part no no, I mean, I like. I wondered if Bianca's suggestion of us recording the second we get to London is actually plausible. I don't think it is. Um, I really don't. But look, we can I, we I'm can doing the we can do one, and it can be like a impromptu kind of um, let's talk about how you're feeling and how excited are you and what you know you're here now kind of one. But also maybe that'll. But yeah, but also because no doubt we'll have about an hour and a half worth of conversation anyway. So if we're hitting record for it, who cares yeah. if it's just total spontaneous conversation that's what most of our podcasts are anyway but that's true but i still think we can get if we can pre-record here we are, we're doing planning on air if we can pre-record like, like four episodes who cares if we then do a you know a spontaneous yeah. impromptu one and then upload that that week who cares just we just have yeah, some true. backups for if you get back from your trip then and you want a, a week off or want to relax or something like that then that's mm. fine well we'll see how we go mm-hmm. i I think maybe a special treat for our uh, listeners that we could probably do some videos while we're all away together. Yeah. Probably put some things up to Instagram and to Facebook. Well, I'm going to do some shit vlogs Um, too, which you'll be on. You're going to be on shit vlogs, Drew. Not only am I going to be on them, I have an idea. We can each record one at the same time oh. featuring the other person. How terrible and brilliant will that shit be? Shit Vlogception. I really want to do it. Yeah, I, shit I thought vlog- about it this morning. Shit Vlogception. I, like, I love it. This is a thing. Oh. oh, we're going to have fun with this. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, but we... Yeah, I don't think we'll have time to pre-record. We Plane will. lands at three. Oh, no, sorry, not pre-record. We will have pre-record time. We won't have time to record on the 31st. That won't happen. Well, we'll see. We'll do it the moment you get into your Airbnb. No, yeah. Look, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We touch down at 3.30, pick up the car at 4, and it takes about... I did the... I, I checked the... You are, you the are not... And the traffic. You're not picking up that car at 4. By the time you get out of the airport, it'll be like 4.30. 
Realistically, yes. But who cares? You, as long and as then, you're around there, it's fine. And then apparently it's an hour and a half from Gatwick to yeah, where we're staying. Of course it is. London. Plus factor in traffic yeah. time, it'll be about seven o'clock that, by the time you get there. That was factoring in the traffic. No, so no I think you need to factor in by more the traffic. Time, by the time we get in, we're going to dump bags and go straight out for dinner and drinks. So, Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll do it on Saturday morning then. No, we won't. We want to get out of the it's... door straight away. We'll do it at some point. Yeah, we're adventuring on the Saturday morning. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Or the Saturday. We're just adventuring. Yes. Anyway, on with the show. Yes. This is not at all what our show is about this week. What is our show about this week, Mr. Phil? Well, uh, I have now been to see what Drew went to see late last year, and that is a film that we're both very much looking forward to because it is by one of, well, at least one of my favourite directors, Drew, I don't know. One of our. It is one of your favourite directors, Joker, one of our oh, favourite yeah. directors. Um, it's a film that we've wanted to see happen for a long time, uh, yes. tackling in a very satirical way the events of World War II, and that is the one, the only, Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. Yes, indeed. So we're going to do a review. I, now, Drew, I suggest that perhaps the first half is spoiler-free, because this is a movie that I respect so highly that I want everyone to go and see it without them knowing all the ins and outs of it. Um, I would agree. I would say then the second half is spoiler-filled, because there's only so much we can say without spoiling the whole thing, because we're not that great at that's, that part yet. That's true. That's true. We're only we're only about five minutes in, so we've got plenty of time to kick it around. Exactly. So, how about we crack on with our um, our uh, spoiler free um, review to begin? Um, and uh, yes. So, uh, I mean, look, th- this is what I've got from IMDb. It's a one line, kind of just throwaway explanation yep. of the film. A young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. And that's about it. And that's it. Yeah, that's basically That it. is really it. Yeah, That's exactly. the story. That's the movie. Um, a little bit more, if you want me to... Um, elaborate? Yeah, yeah, elaborate a little bit. In a World War II satire that follows a lonely German boy named Jojo, um, whose worldview is turned upside down when he discovers his, mother, his single mother, um, played by Scarlett Johansson, Jojo being played by Roman Griffin Davis, um, is hiding a young Jewish girl, Thomason McKenzie, in their attic, um, aided only by his uh, idiotic imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, who is played by Taika Waititi wonderfully. Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. And there you go. Look, that's a pretty good summary. That's, that is the movie. Yep, exactly. Um, now, this film is sensational. I think that right off the top, I can say that the film is wonderful because the acting is so innocent from everybody, and and I mean everybody in the film plays it so innocently. Um, even people, even even Adolf Hitler is played innocently. Um, even we have uh, Stephen Merchant in there as Captain Dietz of the uh, um, the Gestapo, and even he plays the role innocently. Um, not to say that the characters don't have darker sides and can't show the darker side, but, they're but there's all... a lot of heart there. Exactly. And everyone is just a person. Yes, they represent significant, awful humans in many ways, but um, everyone is played innocently. Everyone is played with heart. Um, mm. Yeah. Drew? Opening? Yes. 
What are you asking? In, in, in opening, <laughs> what's your opening thoughts to Jojo Rabbit? Oh, my opening thoughts? Yes. I thought I knew what I was going in for. Mm-hmm. And I honest to God should have known better because I've seen every Taika film, thanks in no small part to you, You're pushing welcome. and pushing and pushing until I did it. You're welcome. <laughs> was worth it. Indeed it is. Um, I don't know. I think it still shook me to the core. I think that one of the... It's interesting. It's a it's a satire on Nazi Germany and World War Two. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can think what you want about that idea. It's been done a lot, you know, throughout history. It, it has been satirized a lot. Um... But I feel like this is differently done because it is, this film is, is all about being a Nazi in Nazi Germany and then having this conflict of interest of the fact that this girl who you, you know, end up getting on quite well with, um, is a Jew and everything you've, you know, you thought you hated um, and also, I love the way it plays on the idea that Jojo is just a child. So obviously, you know, it's that kind of thing I heard in, I heard just on the radio the other day. Um, uh, one of my, my favorite radio team, um, Kate, Tim, and Marty. Uh, Tim Blackwell said, yeah. said on it, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not looking forward to the day that my children don't believe every word that I say. And and that's very reflective on this film. It had nothing to do with the film, him saying it, but it's very true in that Jojo is a child. He's, mm. he's very gullible. He just kind of believes everything that's said. Um, and 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 it's it's about a child in this world. I mean, his imaginary friend is Adolf Hitler. He thinks that he's going to progress as some you know Wunderkind and make it onto Hitler's personal um, you know staff uh, yeah. as a child even. Um, you know, this child in the world, he doesn't quite know right from wrong. He's so torn and so confused by it all. Um, confused by his mother's position, by his own position on the fact that people are you know, mean to him when he's trying to be one of them. And, you know, he's an outcast in, in all worlds, basically. And it's him finding his own way. He's, he's different. And they highlight that very early... And they use a physical means to highlight it as well, which plays out quite well as the metaphor across the movie. Yeah, in, in, indeed. And, uh, you know, I, I think... I think um, I can't say that I've ever pictured Taika Waititi as, as Adolf Hitler, but... No. Like, boy, did he do a but good now. job. <laughs> yeah, now I see it, and boy, did he do a good job. And he did a good job oh, in a couple boy. ways. I mean, you know, he did a good job in, in satirizing Adolf Hitler. And making Adolf Hitler look like a petulant child in many ways, but again, he mm. did he did that and and got a, and got away with doing that not because no one has respect for Adolf Hitler, but because he was playing Adolf Hitler through the mind of a, a child. Um, yeah, and and he he was able to, you know, some of the throwaway lines that Adolf Hitler was able to say um, were were total send ups of what really happened and what really people really thought of Adolf Hitler. But again, you're looking at these things through the mind of a 10 year old boy. So it's interesting. It was an interesting take on him. And, and you know, the juxtaposition of real Hitler um, 
and how kind of terrifying he was, uh, it it is shown throughout the film as well. There's there's such a happy, lovely, friendly kind of throwaway idiot jester Hitler, but he can also be terrifying as well. I think that terrifying thing is the thing that has stuck with me the most about his performance. Yeah. The moment when he got intense and became scary and it, I felt the whole tone just shift completely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, talking about juxtaposition, there was another scene as well. Um, uh, and in fact, I watched a Vanity Fair, um, interview on YouTube with Taika Waititi and Stephen Merchant, they, they reviewed a, a scene from the film. And it was the scene where we had um, a Stephen Merchant's character come into the film as the Gestapo. And uh, you look at juxtaposition, there's a juxtaposition for you. There's this friendly, but kind of strange, kind of a little bit scary, just because of who he represents, man, who is coming across as very friendly. Um, and, uh, and to have him, Stephen Merchant, be so friendly on screen, you know, he's a, he's a Gestapo, but he just does this, goes house to house, gets a call, he goes to the house and, you know, oh, we get told that there's a, um, a Jew living behind my fridge and it turns out it's just a piece of mold. So it's just the same. That's, (laughs) that's a quote from, from the character. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just very like, you know, casual and it is what it is, but then he confronts. Um, Sam Rockwell's character and his, they're on the same team, yet he's just so terrifying in the way he looks down on him, being that Stephen Merchant is so tall, looks down at him and is just so terrifying. And even to Jojo, this terrifying thing of the Gestapo is at my door, like how horrifying. Um, and then there's the juxtaposition position of that again in the whole, the whole Heil Hitler thing. The fact that there are these rules in, in, Nazism that you know we must you introduce yourself and or when you say hello you're how Hitler how Hitler well how many times do you do that do you do that to everyone and we see that happen they play that out 30 something times in the space of a minute it's ridiculous it's satire and it's beautiful but it's done to perfection and it it and and again you know there's there's other elements of the film which which are juxtaposition position um, you know, from looking at a wonderful butterfly to seeing something completely contrasting to that. And, and we'll, we'll get to that. It, scene absolutely. Absolutely. Life. And that's why I'm just touching on it like that. And, and it's these polar opposites that make you feel one thing and innocent and happy and then totally removed and feel like you've been robbed of all innocence and all heart and all happiness in, in the quickest of brief moments you go from feeling wonderful to feeling awful and you said to me that the film made you you know tear up with joy and tear up with total heartbreak and sadness and it's yeah it's completely from one extreme to the other and it's but but what's interesting is that unlike other films where it goes from feeling two things at one end of the film to the other or, or the start the middle and the end no this is scene by scene you can feel totally different totally different you know someone could be saying a joke and unlike any other sort of film where the joke is said and that's kind of it this is the joke is said and it hurts someone's feelings and then you go from feeling like laughing at the joke to feeling so sad and sorry for someone else how the hell can you do that in a film that's not fair like it hurts yeah 
It's a wonderful film, though. It is. And I can't stress its importance enough to people. Like, whenever it comes up in conversation now, I go, no, you, you've got to see just... It is a very important film. It's not just that it's funny or that it's clever or that it's heartfelt or anything like that. It's I think it's important and relevant. It is relevant. Um, you know, it's this... We're in weird times right now where weird things are happening, things that a lot of people disagree with are happening regardless. Well, and... even even things that people are likening it to World War Two and the Hitler re- regime. In the, I mean, I don't think it's to mm. that extent, but things start somewhere, no. and the Hitler regime started somewhere much more insignificant than where it's at. And we're, we're seeing that happen today, and people are oblivious to that or not willing to acknowledge that. And what this film does is, you know, it highlights what propaganda in many ways can do, and... and not necessarily full-blown propaganda, but even passing comments or passing thoughts or ideas, they have influence on, on crowds. You know, there's this kind of, you know, shepherd effect that happens and, and people tend to lean or go a certain way if that's what the crowd's doing. And mm. we're seeing that in today's world. And this film, yes, it's referencing a very significant version of that, but nonetheless, it's, it's highlighting the fact that that is, and it is yeah. relevant because that is what's happening. It's this kind of crowd mentality and it's, um, it's a dangerous time that things are happening like that. Just when you look at how impressionable Jojo and his friends are and you see the propaganda all over the town well, Jojo had the... It's, they went to the lowest common denominator, in this case, the the unintelligent, which is Jojo. Not because he's an idiot, but because he's a child. He doesn't know better. Yeah. And they used him to go and put up propaganda papers and, you know, go around and collect money yeah. for the army. And, you know, they had him do all the, the innocent, dirty work and spread the mission. Again, I... For me, it draws back to what I would argue is one of two horrific moments in the movie mm. this one far less of a spoiler um rebel wilson's character hands the live grenade to the kid mm. and just goes go hug that american soldier yeah it's both what's interesting about that as well in and again it's the whole idea of satire and the juxtaposition yeah. that the satire creates that's hilarious but also it's not hilarious at all no. They're using a child and, to do something because they don't know better. But that just, it summed it up. It was like, yep, we will use kids. We are determined. We believe in our cause and we think mm. that this is perfectly acceptable as a means of achieving it. That that we can sacrifice kids like this because it's for the greater good. I mean, looking at it from the other point of view, though, and it's, it's quite interesting that, that um, Hitler was able to play a role in this. Um, there's a scene that's used in all the trailers, there's a scene that's used in all the kind of um, uh, 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 packages that are used for media releases and everything like that, in that Jojo has just been called Jojo Rabbit. And and I mean that this, this scene is the opposite of the juxtaposition of the, the you know, they use of children. This is 
it's interesting because it's sending a good message. That is, mm. Jojo's upset because they've called him Rabbit and he's, he feels pathetic and everything. And then Adolf Hitler says to him, Ah, oh, like, don't worry about what people say about you. People say crazy things about me. Like, you know, they say, I'm going to get everyone killed. You know, I'm a total psychopath. Don't listen to what people say. Now, it's the, the juxtaposition there is that Hitler is not acknowledging the fact that he's a total psychopath here. And he's yeah. saying that this is what people call him because people did call him that. And he's a total maniac. But at the same time, he's, he's using it as a message to Jojo to be like, don't worry about words, man. Words can't hurt you. Go out there and just be you. Embody what people call you. You are who you are. You can do anything yeah. kind of thing. And it's just totally bizarre to see, you you know, you feel good that, I mean, it's funny and it's a scene that you laugh in, but you, you at the same time, you, you see the message is good for Jojo. It's, you know, don't, don't listen to people, do what you want to do, you know? And it's very strange to be getting that message from Adolf Hitler. It's totally bizarre. It's cringy, but it's also very accurate because that was the mentality that he appeared to carry. And I think that that says a lot about Taika and mm. his perception when he wrote the script, that he understood that in many respects, what Hitler, like what he was doing with his attitude about himself mm-hmm. and how he treated himself pushing forward was, was not necessarily um, self-loathing or anything. He, he was very much about helping himself and driving himself forward and valuing himself. It's just the, the attributes that were there were quite horrible. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but what a thing to pick up on. And, and really like, like he, he did incredible things, terrible, but incredible things to go from corporal to head of the German army. Mm. It's like the ultimate promotion. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. But he did it. He did do it. That determination and that not caring what people said and thought of him. He went and did it. Yeah, it's true. Terrific. And and the things he did were totally wrong. It's that attitude, though, is and and that's what he's honed in on. And he's found a way to make it work for Jojo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to touch on something else, very that, hard to phrase all of that. It, uh, yeah, fair, I, no, I, I, it, 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 yeah, it is. How, what, how, what do you say? It's how do you? How do you there is no you, smooth to it's that. It's not a compliment, but it's also not and a derogatory yeah. thing either. Um, <laughs> something else that this film did really well for me, because I am fascinated by the war and and uh, World War Two and yeah. what was happening and what was happening in Germany at yeah. that time, um, is the placement of this film in terms of time. Um, this isn't at the start of the war. This isn't at the start of the kind of Nazi regime. This, this is the timing of it right at the end there, but not from the point of view of Berlin, you know, not, not, not from the point of view of, you know, Jojo's living in, in the center of it all. He's living in a small rural German town and, uh, and, and the fact that there's this, just in passing conversation, the way they acknowledge what's going on in the world, um, you know, and we hear it coming and going and it kind of, you know, floats into the story and then washes out of the story and floats into the story and then washes out of the story. And and by that, I mean, 
we're set in a time when they're trying to recruit people still. We need to fight the war. The war's coming to us. That's where we start. Then we end up being in, yeah, it looks like the, you know, all the armies are closing in and they're, they're, you know, kind of marching their way through Germany and they're heading towards Berlin. And then we kind of step on a little bit further and then our, there's fighting going on in Italy and we don't know what's going on there and oh, it looks like Italy's losing and but what's happening here and then it starts to get you know gets passed off further and further and we see some aerial shots of some you know there's some bombs going off and being dropped you know on the horizon and everything like that and as the film goes on you know then we start to see them starting to get a bit stressed and then start dressing the town ready for war and you know for a battle and just casually like that and we end up with a scene like, um, yeah, as, as you said, Rebel Wilson asking a child to go and hug the American soldier with the live grenade. It's this, it's it's just interesting to see what's happening and, and you know, not, not how, well, just how disconnected so much of the world was from what was happening. Oh, so many people were in the know and so many people were out of the loop. Um, and, and for me, it was inter an interesting timeline showing, you know, where this is set you know, how this is going, where it's set and, and what we're heading towards. And, and, and yeah, it, it, I found it, I found it very interesting that the timeline, I'm glad they said it when they did. I don't know if you picked up on it's that too. Probably. It's probably the most appropriate time. I, I did. And I, I found it really interesting that the only one that understood where it was heading was Sam Rockwell. He is literally the only one mm -hmm. that looked at the situation, knew that they were losing, really knew that it wasn't mm. going to happen. And he, he didn't say a damn word. He just, he knew he was safe because they had put him down into a position where he could essentially do no harm. It was a shit kicker yeah. position, but... He knew he was safe. He was able to waste his time designing a ridiculous outfit to wear. Like, he, yeah. he just... But he knew. Then you look at people like Alfie Allen playing his offsider, who clearly had no idea. Mm -hmm. Rebel, who had no idea. The Sorry, the Gestapo had no idea. Mm. Jojo and the other kids, no one knew. Yeah. Because at that time, the... Hitler made damn certain that no one was aware of how badly it was going. He kept up the propaganda. They were all made to still believe they were winning. They were doing this. They were doing that. Yeah, it's it, it's so true. Um, now, I find the character of Sam Rockwell quite interesting. He, he plays throughout the film. He's in no way mm. a fatherly figure to Jojo. He is not... I'm not saying no. that at all. But at the same time, he... He has Jojo's best interest at heart, no matter, even I if things go... like an uncle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's there's no reason for him to appear when the Gestapo rock up at Jojo's house, but he's there anyway and just there to, you know, look out for him and just check on things and, mm. you know, happens to be there to give him the documents and the, the propaganda happened to be there at that time. You know, it's just it's just interesting the way it all kind of... Yeah, fell into place. I thought that he was an interesting character and he, he played an interesting role throughout the film. Um, yeah, I agree. Now, Drew, do we want to get to our scores now and then kind of crack on into um, our uh, 
what what, what am I calling it? Spoiler filled area or segment, or do we want to leave that to the very end? I'm happy leaving the score to the very end. I think we can dive into spoiler territory. Okay, no worries. Um, yes. Before we dive in anywhere, though, I I just out of curiosity, I, I was just bringing up some details about the film. And my favorite film reviewer, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone, has a wonderful quote that I think really sums up a lot of it as well. He He's written a full review, but just a, a little caption out of it. Waititi's faith in the notion that a child will lead us out of ignorance may be naive. It's also deeply affecting. And I think that that really is what it is. Yeah. Um... There's another one here that's quite good from Owen Gleiberman of Variety. What gives Jojo Rabbit its specialness, what makes it a kind of moonrise kingdom with swastikas and German shepherd jokes, is that it <laughs> lacks the courage of its own conven- conventionality. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Yes and no. But I like the comparison to Moonrise Kingdom. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. I don't think I have. Oh, no, have I seen No, I don't think I've seen it. I think I've got it, but I haven't seen it. It's a delightful film from Wes Anderson. Yeah, but there's my problem. You struggle with Wes? Yeah, enormously. Is that because of Fantastic Mr. Fox? No, no. Yeah, well, yes, but, okay. but that's not why I struggle with Wes Anderson. I struggle with Wes Anderson because I struggle with Wes Anderson. And then he went and shot okay. on one of my favorite movies or books. Person. Okay, well, okay, okay, realistically, Moonrise Kingdom and Jojo Rabbit are actually very, very similar films. Now that like now that I'm thinking about it, I, mm. it never occurred to me before, but it it is very similar in both the way it's filmed and the way it approaches its characters and telling a story from the perspective of children. Okay. I'll, s- I, I, I'll see I what I can do about that. I highly recommend... Yeah, I'll see what I can it, do about that. I think I'm. I think I'm looking at it on my shelf. I'm. Ge- yes. Well, I'll see I what I can do. That's it. I'll see what you I can should do. watch it. Okay. You should. Um, hey, maybe we can watch it when we're over there. Well, we've already got Misery and Missing Link on that list now. Oh my god. Yeah. We're gonna sit and watch movies again. Yeah, we are. I forgot what this is like. And we'll try and go to the cinema while you're here because I quite like the build up to the cinema experience here in the UK. Released at View Cinema. I, I kind of want to go to the Odeon at Leicester Square. Uh, you can do that if you want to. But uh, yeah, View Cinemas. Look, uh, this is a shout out just before we get to the spoiler area. Uh, View Cinemas, wonderful cinema place in the UK. The fact that the tickets are always £4.98 or something like that. £5 to go to the movies? Bargain. Oh. Um, and it's got one of the yes. best kind of um, build-ups. That's like Reading. Yeah, exactly. And it's got one of the best build-ups to a movie that you can see. It's great for testing headphones. If you ever want to test headphones for the sound quality, watch the intro to View Cinema. Um, And, uh, yeah, look, View do a great job, and the seats aren't the greatest. It's very much like Reading in many ways, but the the sound and screen quality is fantastic. Cannot fault them for that, and they do a great job with the price that they charge. Um, And they are my local. What's the screen size like? What's that? What's the screen size like? Um... In all the standard ones, it's quite—I'd say it's similar to Hoyt's style, Hoyt's Broadway style. Um, they do have an IMAX there, though. Obviously, it's not a massive IMAX, but it's an IMAX nonetheless, just to give you that higher quality and everything like that. And that's quite nice. We'll go and see a movie on that one if you want to, Drew. Um, 
we'll see what's out. Yes, exactly. Uh, yes, but anyway, let's move on to our spoiler-filled area. So if you if you want to avoid that, I suggest you stay out of the loop for, I'd say, the next 15 minutes or so. Um, that takes us to, what, about yeah. 45 minutes into the podcast? Yeah, about the next 15 minutes, yeah. I'd say. Um, yeah, that's realistic. And, uh, yeah, then come back to us, and hopefully we're talking about the scores by then. I'll try and keep an eye on the time, so that way that happens, because I really don't want this film spoiled for many people, or for anyone. I want mm. you to go and see it first. Um, okay, this is now going forward, spoiler-filled, starting now. You've been warned. Now. Drew. Done. Let's go in. Let's go into it. Okay, Drew. Tell me. Yes. Tell me thoughts on the film, spoiler-filled now, because now you can talk about it, and you wanted to talk to me about it before, and you couldn't, because I hadn't seen it. Oh, lordy. I, oh man, there's just so much tugging at the heartstrings. Like you, I can't deal with how it affected the the fact that you go from something really funny to something really heartfelt in a matter of seconds. The fact that your tears of laughter become tears of sadness and then back again. Yeah, it just bounces back and forth. But it does so with ease. It's it, it bounces through the way the way you see Tyker skipping through the forest as Hitler at the beginning. That is that moment of him prancing through the forest, that to me that's the whole movie. That's the feeling. You are just bouncing through, up and down, through all the well, trials. Well, I, I find it I mean I think that, that for me one of the, the the biggest points in the film is, <coughs> excuse me, um, is probably when we have we have Taika infuriated by the fact that um, you know the girl is living there in 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 you know in the walls of his house, um, and so in a very childish way, you know he pretends to be her fiance Nathan, um, and writes those. Very cleverly, I think, and, and, and again, it's the juxtaposition of him wanting to, um, not sure if he likes her or not, tries to add in poetry from her favorite or, or the couple's favorite poet. Um, so he adds that in just to show that he did his homework and did, did some work, but then counters it by telling her that he hates her, you know, from Nathan's point of view and makes her cry. And, and you laugh because at first you laugh because... You think it's so sweet that Jojo's gone to the effort, but also he's being a child and and being very insulting from someone's point of view. And it's like, ah, bloody Jojo. Hmm. And then you see the effect that it has um, and and the way that Elsa turns around and starts to cry and just kind of slink away into the the wall. and, And you just go, oh, man, like, that was funny, but that's not funny at all. You've just been laughing at someone else's expense and... And it's not funny, and and that's what I was referencing before when I was talking about you know talking about that scene, but not trying to spoil anything. Is that you're laughing because it's funny and it's a child, and ha oh, they're just being silly, you know, and you know how adorable is it? Like this kid's gone to all this effort to try and you know push her buttons. It's funny, but it's not funny. It it's such a real thing because she's living this and he's not, and he's got such higher ground compared to her because he doesn't have to live in the wall. He's not hiding. His family's not got, you know, well, her father has, um, his father has at this point, you know, but they're living a completely different world and you're just laughing at someone else's expense and you just feel awful about yourself for laughing. Hmm. I thought that was wonderful. No, it's very true. Mm. 
Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. That, that, that again, it's wonderful, but it makes you feel like shit about yourself. It makes you feel like shit about the situation. Um, now, I think that I think that we have to talk about Drew, the butterfly scene. Yeah, we do. We do the butterfly scene, and I think oh that scene is going to wind up being studied in schools across the world for years to come. Now, I think the whole movie will, but I think that particular scene will just. What now? What you know? Without without talking about the scene itself, but what the scene makes you feel. I have not felt such loss in a film for a long time, and I mean loss, like personal loss. You know, if a character dies in a movie or something like that, you know, you, you have that quick thought in your mind that almost kind of that that real thought that you have when you lose someone, you know, a loved one or or someone, um, someone that you're close to, where you go, how can I undo this? moment right now how can i take this moment back right now just take a step back and everything's good again how do i do that and you do that in this scene from feeling so kind of whimsical and happy and floaty and happy and everything's just feeling so wonderful you know and carefree to it's handled so to well suddenly you feel the loss everything you feel everything's gone it wasn't prepped in any way. You were not expecting. I'm getting really sad thinking about it. Actually, it, it's because it's it, just it. It fucking it hurts. So, it was a shock to the system, and I don't know about you, but I, we were obviously in a sold-out screening, mm. and the gasp that just swept the whole cinema as the scene happened, and the second you saw it. You, everyone just you just heard the yeah we weren't sold out but we we, i heard it and i felt it myself and then you could have you could have heard a pin drop after that it just was dead silent and then a minute later you started to hear the sniffling across the cinema now now what affected everyone now what built us up to that point you know there was there was no real telltale you knew that you knew that um jojo's mother was against the war was against what was happening, was trying to fight it, sort of was a losing battle, but didn't want to be a part of it anyway. I mean, you saw that because she invited a, a, a Jewish child to stay in her home um, or hide in her home. But you didn't think that she was going to be caught up in it. And and I found it really interesting the way they, you know, they showed her leaving every day to go off and do her thing and she'd go to her job or do her work, which I guess was you know, fighting, um, the, the resistance and the rebellion. Um, and Jojo goes off to do his job, which is handing out propaganda and all that. Not in school. The only sort of schooling they had was the, the Nazi camp or Nazi training camp. Um, but, but there's, you know, to try and keep the kids from knowing what they should know. They're just trying to train them up and keep them kind of stupid in many ways. They could manipulate them. But Jojo's mother just went off and did her thing and would always talk about how she was against it, you know, and she didn't like what was happening. And she kind of just dismissed Jojo's attitude towards the war and towards Nazis as he's a, he's a child who doesn't know better, um, which is very innocent and very nice of her to see the better in her own son. Um, and then that, we don't see her for a little while, and then that, and we just, you just, you miss her. It's crazy, but you miss her. You miss what Jojo had. 
Did you see it coming? Because I didn't. Absolutely not. I knew that her. I knew that his mother was against it, but I just thought, in many ways, she was against it at the point of view of a child. You know, wanting to protect a child, not. Yeah. Not to that level, and and now it it turns me to Sam Rockwell's character. You know, mm. he rocks up when the Gestapo get there. He um, defends or protects Elsa, who's playing Jojo's sister when she's not. Yep. And that that oh that shock of her Elsa being shocked, and Jojo saying what, and then Elsa saying she was born on the seventh, not the first, or was it the other way around? I don't know. But the fact that Sam Rockwell let her get away with it. Did yeah. did Sam Rockwell know what was going to happen to Jojo's mother? Did Sam Rockwell see the writing on the wall and see that the war was coming to an end, which I think we've already answered and think that that's yes, and therefore think that there's no point in making this Jewish girl go through what she goes through, also when she's in some ways Jojo's biggest support, you know, at this time. And also mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell has this kind of emotional attachment to Jojo, so do I hurt Jojo in doing this? There's all these sorts of things that's like, what does Sam Rockwell know? And I would love to find out and know the answer to what exactly, how much does he know, you know, I, I, Sam Rockwell plays a very interesting character in this movie and you don't realize how important that character is until the, the credits start to roll and you go, shit, like, who, how, he was on JoJo's side. Not the war yeah. side, not against the war. He was on Jojo's side, and that's it. Yeah, that's all he... He just... He cared about the kid. Mm. He had time to get to know him as well. Yeah, and... and uh, you know, it, it's interesting... Again, looking at the scene... The Gestapo scene in the home, and the, the questioning of, of Elsa. You know, how old is she, and everything like that. That, that sort of thing, and looking at the papers... Um, there's the, the book about Jews, which Jojo mm. wrote and Sam Rockwell's character knew Jojo wrote because he brought it to them and showed them and, and, and that sort of thing. And now suddenly Elsa's taking, you know, ownership of that. It's like the whole thing is just kind of unraveling, but Sam Rockwell doesn't let it happen. Doesn't let it unravel. Um, no. And it's... It's really interesting how you have one opinion of him at the very beginning, but he wins you over as you go across the story. Yeah, absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Particularly, um, like, his his final redemption at the very end as well. Yeah, sending, sending Jojo away like that and getting letting him go. Setting him free. And he, and he knew. You could tell he knew. Like, yeah. He knew what was about to happen. Yeah, absolutely he did, and that's why he wanted to get away um and and even even his friend jojo's friend um his name it's not a good time to be a nazi (laughs) yeah yeah now now what's what's (laughs) what's interesting though is is in that scene there where he says that the fact that he just so nonchalantly explained yorkie that's yeah yorkie he he just you know uh looks like um we've lost you know, Hitler's died, he's gone and killed himself, and the the Russians and the Americans are there, and uh, it's all just so, like, nonchalant, but all awful at the same time. Very much like Eeyore, I think. 
Yeah, it's just mm. it's such an interesting kind of way of that scene carrying out. And it was a final scene that I loved. It was it was the final one of Hitler. The way he turned so evil and so, you know, hi me, hi me, and he just turned it to yeah, such... It becomes terrifying at the end. Yeah, so it. evil, but then Jojo just kicks it and literally kicks him away, but kicks kicks the, the sort of feeling and that oppression and pushes on and, and, and does what he want, wants to do. And I think that was wonderful. Mm. It was a lovely scene. And I love the, the dancing, the, final, the way the, the film ends, the Americans have won... Jojo gets the slap yes. across the face, and then they start to dance. They start to dance to um, heroes in German. Yes, which is a very nice tie, especially with the beginning with the um, German version of I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm. Now, I'm loving the soundtrack of Jojo Rabbit at the moment. Loving it, rocking out to it all the time. I think it's wonderful. And I think the fact that there's original score by... Um, our good mate Michael, Michael Giacchino, Giacchino and uh, and then mixing in some fantastic pieces of music and uh, yes yeah th- this film is is I... totally like Taika Waititi and I think in many ways it's it's uh, it harks back in I think to to Boy I think it does the best job of kind of linking to yes there's the person that that um, the kid idolizes even though they're not very good or not not who you should idolize but you idolize them nonetheless and they're significant to you and then they wrong you, but then they right you at the same time. It's just, uh, mm. yeah. But, uh, yeah, wonderful script. One that he's been sitting on for a long time. I think it, he was sitting on it since 2011 or something like that. And then he went and did Boy, and he did uh, What We Do in the Shadows, and then he did um, Hunt for the Wilder People, and he did um, Thor Ragnarok, and has now come back to it, almost like it... It kind of fits now the most, but also Fox Searchlight, uh, Searchlight finally went, yeah, let's do it. But with you as Hitler, please. And the lookout's paid off. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, Drew, let's get to our scores, because we're at the end of that roughly 15-minute yes. segment. Uh, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I will. I've, I've given it a little bit of thought, but I, I, I know it gets a very high rating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, on a technical level... I'd give it an eight and a half. Mm -hmm. I think that it actually achieves all the things that it should achieve as a movie, as that particular type of movie, as a black comedy, it does what it should do as a satire. It should do what it does. And I think the way Taika has described the movie, and and I know that they've even made a point of it in the campaigning, Mm -hmm. um, in all the advertising campaigns, is that it is an anti-hate satire. And I yeah. think that it lives up to that quite well. It's it's wonderful. The execution is wonderful. The cast are amazing. The score, the cinematography is just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Really outstanding. There's a shot where Jojo is running through the town as it's all blowing up to pieces. And that shot, it, it's this wonderful tracking shot cutting through the town. And I loved it. Mm. I just, I thought it made us feel like we were there and we were in on everything that he was experiencing. And again, that butterfly scene, like how well shot was that? Oh, that just, it did, it made you feel exactly how it wanted you to feel. Yeah. And oh my God, like, it's impossible exactly. to escape that kind of feeling. So eight and a half out of 10 technical level on an enjoyment level, nine out of 10. It did 
everything that I wanted it to do and more. It still took me by surprise. Again, butterfly scene. Oh my goodness. Um, I found it immensely fun, warm, touching, uh, terribly sad and terribly joyful. And every kind of emotion, it just drew it out of me. And I was so pleased that I could experience the movie and to experience it the way I did and again I think more people should well need to watch this Mm -hmm. they really do so yeah where are you at uh I'm gonna say technical I'm gonna give it an eight um I think it it did nail it nailed everything but the accents, I think. And the accents is a significant one because that's what all the dialogue is. And, and my, I, I, think, I think it's my only gripe with the entire film is the lack of consistency with the accents. Some people were German, some yep. people were not. Some people were American, some people were full-on British. Um, I think that, yeah, that's the only thing they didn't nail so much. Everything else they totally did. Um, script was fantastic, again, to make you... The, the significance of the juxtaposition, I've used that word so many times, but this film is all about that, and my god, it hits you. And I think that it does the most wonderful job of it throughout, turning you from happy to sad, or sad to happy, and um, the significance of it all to the lack of significance of it all. Um, you know, it, it makes you feel exactly how you're supposed to feel, and, and there is no escaping it. You know, you go on this roller coaster ride because you're strapped in for it, you know, rather than other films, it's kind of up to you how you take it and how you feel about it. You can't escape how you're feeling and how you're supposed to feel. They, they, you know, they really kind of take you on a ride and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. I haven't had that sort of experience for a long time in a movie. Um, now I think, you know, you know what I mean? Like it, it, even if you didn't enjoy it so much, there's no way to escape the way you were supposed to feel. It is an experience. Mm, exactly. Watching that um, film. Yeah, I agree. Acting was superb. Um, Roman Griffin Davis, it was his first um, acting period, I believe. And yep. uh, he did a wonderful job as Jojo. Um, I thought that uh, Thomason McKenzie, she did a great job with her accent as well, um, and also in the way that she acted. She, her, her performance was amazing. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, really emotive and made us feel the way we we're supposed to. I thought everyone did an amazing job. I mean, look at Scarlett Johansson's acting, the way she switched from mother to father in certain scenes, and the way the way we we're supposed to feel. Again, it was interesting. Uh, it was enjoyable. It was heartfelt. It was total satire. It's wonderfully done. Yeah. Um, and uh, it also showed us about growing up and re- you know respecting people, you know that deserve it. You know when there's no reason not to, you know. Um, and then personally, I think I think I'm going to give it a ten. To be honest, ooh, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a ten. And look, that I'll give it a ten because, like I said before, I I can't recall a film that has made me feel so honest with kind of my feelings and and that sounds really pathetic and lame but but by that i mean you know the the way i felt the sadness that i felt at certain points was genuine sadness not so much i mean for for what we were seeing on screen but also i felt it like it was real for me um that i was suffering it felt personally real, didn't it? exactly and and i haven't felt that kind of thing i mean i 
got a lump in my throat at the end of Iron Man. Uh, I say Iron Man. Um, what was what was uh, Avengers Endgame? Avengers. Um, I got a lump in my throat at the end of that, but this one, it felt more harsh. Like it felt more like a personal swipe at me kind of thing, and uh, I haven't had that from a film. And again, because it was a roller coaster, because you couldn't escape how you were supposed to feel. You felt so much for all the characters. You felt good for them. You felt bad for them. You laughed. You didn't laugh. You didn't know if you could laugh. Um, and Tyker's totally done it again. And so it absolutely gets a 10 because it was just like, man, man, oh man. Like what a, what a film, what a movie, what a, what a feeling, what a ride, what a, what an everything. And what's, what's really interesting about this is I often, I often deem films to be based on their rewatchability. That's, that's their kind of scoring. I don't know how I don't know how many times I think I can rewatch this. Not because it's a long film, not because of anything else, other than it hurts to watch. It it's such an impact. It is such an impact. And um Yeah, but but my god, like they totally smashed it out of the ballpark. Like they just did a wonderful job. Um so it yeah, it, it it's a ten for me. Um, and now, Drew, we should move on to our second of the week. I agree. Yes. Uh, for us, it's quite obvious. I don't know if it is for everyone else. Now, it's now it's, I say it, it looks obvious, but also people could be thinking it's obvious because of one of the things. Now, um, yes, let's of course. Now we are going to give it to our second of the week for this week is Drew. I want to get his name right. What do you want me to say? I got it. I got this. Yes. Roman Griffin Davis. Absolutely. Yes, it is. And now, first acting, full stop. Um, mm. He did a wonderful job in the role. Again, the accent was a little bit, what it, what is his accent? But that doesn't matter. He he made you it was feel... a little bit how you're going. Yeah, he made you feel how you wanted to feel. He copped the brunt of it. Yep. He had to face people being totally evil to him, trying to manipulate him and be his friend. He tried to do things and couldn't do it. He was picked on, bullied, thrown around, blown up in some ways, and um, but he did an amazing job, and he, he made you feel how you were supposed to feel. And I felt so sorry for him throughout, you know. You know he was such a, a, you know, he's a small grain you know, in the world. He is so insignificant to the mm. situation, but he's just trying to make a world for himself. And, uh, you but know... This kid did a phenomenal job. He, Yeah, yeah. Roman did a great job at, at, at playing it and acting throughout. And, um, yeah, I, I have his back mm. entirely because I thought he did a wonderful job. And he missed out on the uh, Gone Globe. So uh, we're going to give him this award instead. Well... Yes. Um, Jessie was telling me she watched an interview with him and the the interviewer asked asked him what was your favorite part about, you know, playing like playing the role being in the movie and his response without missing a beat was getting to kick Hitler in the balls. <laughs> good call kid, smart move. Uh, Just good call. brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, look, he, he is... What a it. response. Taika has received our Sit Kent of the Week in the past. I believe I need to go back and write down all of our Sit Kents of the Week. I think I might do that in yeah, like I a couple of days if I can. But I believe he has. Um, it's why he didn't get it this week. Um, and also, 
Roman Griffin Davis just he 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 this just kid's phenomenal. He what a role he played. He did a great job um, on screen. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, star, he was the star of the show. There were definitely some heavy hitters around, but they all pivoted around what Roman did. So yeah, for that reason, he's our sick kid of the I'm week. Just reading, I've been reading about him a little bit. His father is a cinematographer. Ah, oh, possibly why you got an interview uh, or a um an acting thing, perhaps. N- not only a cinematographer, his father was cinematographer on Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, and Captain Marvel. Right, that's pretty significant. Kind of. Uh... Uh, also did Layer Cake, Stardust, Kick Ass, uh, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Wrath of the Titans. Oh, one of our uh, favorites, Seven Psychopaths. Oh, lovely. Um, uh, Dumbo, The King's Men. Oh, well, The King's Man, the, the new Kingsman movie that's coming. And the upcoming Marvel film, The Eternals. I have a question for you, though. Looking at the cast list yes. for Jojo Rabbit, there's two people on this list that are looks like they're related to Roman. Um, Gilby Griffin Davis and Hardy Griffin Davis. Now their role for the film was clone. Who the hell did they play in the film? Clone. That's that's what their credit is. It's clone. I have no idea. Anyway, it looks like the three brothers were in it, but uh, yes. Anyway, Drew. Um, I guess that brings yes. us to the end of our Jojo Rabbit review. That does indeed. Now, of course, uh, if you do want to be a part of our show in any way, shape or form, feel free to contact us. If you have any criticisms, any comments, any anything, really, we just love to hear from people. We like to talk. It's why we have a show. Please feel free to contact us. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter when we figure out we're on there. We just need to learn it properly. Um or, of course, you can also contact us via whatever the contact methods are for SoundCloud. Um, I think Apple Podcasts has mm-hmm. a means of doing it. And even possibly Spotify. But, yes, please be sure to contact us. Rate, like, subscribe, tell your friends, all those fun things. And we look forward to bringing you not only more reviews, but just more episodes. We love what we do. Yes, indeed. Indeed we do. That's why we've been doing this as long as we have. It's true. Couldn't Indeed. Yes. Anyway, uh, not quite on with the show as we are wrapping up for another week. Thank you, Mr. Phil. Thank you, Mr. Drew. And as always, how do we leave our wonderful audience? Yep. <laughs>